Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Scarpins Avenue. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Small Doses. This week, we have a very good friend of mine. And also, by the way, one of my muses. Um, <laughs> yes, and I tell you this all the time, yes, that you're you one of my muses. Because what happens is I will be like in full thought about something and I'm like, I can't figure it out. I must call Desmond. And it's like whenever I'm in a creative space like that and I'm I'm like, Desmond is the key. And without fail, it's like, aha, Eureka! So ladies and gentlemen, welcome uh, to the uh, podcast, Mr. Desmond Thorne. Desmond Thorne is a filmmaker. He is a writer. He is a funny man. And yes. he is the host of the first podcast launching on the Smart Money and Black Podcast Network, Adventures in Black Cinema. Yes. Literally want that as a ringtone, just you like screaming <laughs> cinema. Ah, <laughs> uh, so, yes. I wanted to introduce you all to Desmond. I wanted to also just talk about black movies. I mean, yes. Listen, during quarantine. <sighs> Black movies. Yes, have been a comfort. Have been, uh, no pun intended, but my soul food, if that makes sense, you know? Yes, yes. So, so good. So, so good. So I always try to, especially when I'm introducing folks to my audience that I feel like they may not be aware of, I'd love to give them just some background on why your opinion matters. And I think this is important because everybody want to talk about everything these days. Yes. But not everybody has actual expert opinion everybody yes. can have an opinion it's it's like seinfeld said about reservations at the dam um at the rent a car anybody can take a reservation anybody can yes. take it. but can you hold you gotta hold the reservation can you hold That's it down it's really the thing so it's with opinions everybody yes. can have an opinion absolutely doesn't mean everybody is actually got a valuable opinion absolutely so i would love for you to tell us why yours is a valuable opinion? Yeah. So, like, I am a filmmaker, as you said. And I think even before I was a filmmaker, I was just, like, obsessed with film. I did not live in a household where it was, in, it was like, you know, don't watch TV, don't watch movies. We had movies all around us. You could watch whatever you wanted. And from a young age, my brother and I would, like, go into different locations and be like, so, what's the movie here? Like, (laughs) I remember my mom was part of this organization that would uh, meet at this big, um, almost mansion in Orange, New Jersey, called the Black United Fund. And the only reason that me and my brother liked to go there is because we would think of movies when we were like six or seven years old of like what we would shoot in this place. So that developed into... So you were always thinking as a filmmaker. 
Always, always, always. Like, that was our play. Me and my brother, when we would play pretend, it would be like, this is a movie. This is our movie. And kind of like, our wheels would turn in that fashion. Um, And he started doing it before me. He started as a documentarian. He made a documentary that I talk about on one of the episodes of the podcast uh, about Malcolm X, COINTELPRO, and hip-hop and how all of those things connect and our principal, who's racist as hell, did not want it shown because she said it would be, like, divisive and shit. So I talk about that on an episode of the podcast, the Higher Learning episode, because we protested and got her ass fired. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Effective moment! Yes. Yes. And my yes. brother was a big part of that, and my sister-in-law was as well. Like, that's how I met my sister-in-law, because she was one of the organizers of that protest. When so he, he was, was in high school? Yes, they were seniors. I was a sophomore. This is before or after he went to prom with SZA? Uh, This is before. This is like a month before. (laughs) Yes, before he went to prom with SZA. Um, And so uh, I was always an actor. So I was the one who was always (laughs) just like... You were always a what? An actor. Mm. A performer, if you will. Yes. Um, And so that was always where my head was. My head wasn't really in a writing or filmmaking space until I was a senior in college. And my friend was like, do you want to do this uh, sketch video series for the television network? She was saying to me that it would be called Make Your Own Damn Sandwich. And it was a sketch show. about gender issues on campus. Okay. And so that was the first time where I really believed, I was like, oh, wait, I can write. And like, oh shit, I know stuff about the camera. I can also like direct actors. Like I know this from being an actor. This is why I can direct actors. And from loving movies, I have all these references. So that's how I know how to shoot. That's how I know what's visually interesting and like what makes a good movie versus like, when you're watching a movie, you're just like, well, why isn't this a play? You know, these people are just talking. Right, right, <laughs> so, right. Well, I think so, it's very interesting to hear that, to hear like how you process, because I think that's the difference. Like some people love movies, right? but they love movies for a different reason. They love movies because it's an escape. You exactly. know, they love movies because they're intrigued by the stories and they just, you know, like the actors. But to hear you say that for you, you love movies because it sparks you to think of the how yes. and the behind the scenes and the, the creative pieces that came together. I think that is what helps to give a different grounding to your point of view. Totally, totally. They're built bits and pieces of education. Every movie, bad or good or like, you know, excellent, uh, there are lessons in them. And it's also something that I've been doing since I've started doing short films a few years ago is actually reading scripts, finding scripts online, PDFs of screenplays and reading them. Cause that's also part of the back engineering of a film, seeing how this writer um, basically made a blueprint for every department and for the actors and kind of the difference between scripts that were written in like the seventies and the eighties scripts that are written now scripts that are written by writer-directors, and scripts that are written by writers who don't direct the movie. So you're looking at the nuances. Mm-hmm. What, are, like, what would you say is like a nuance that you feel happens on a regular basis between like a director 
written script and a writer director. Well, I guess, but I mean, isn't a writer director? Well, I know actually correct you. Okay. What would you say is the difference between like that you've noticed between a movie that is directed by someone versus one that is written and directed by someone? That's, totally. That's, that's what you're talking about, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. A writer who basically like sells their script and then the director comes in, does their yes. pass on the script. Yes. Versus, so, versus a film that was written and directed by that person. By that person. In those writer-director scripts, there's a lot more uh, specificity of visual language because that person at some point does have to really start thinking about like how they're going to shoot it and how this is going to be possible. And I feel like they also want to make that as clear as possible to the production companies and to the studios when they're selling it because it's like, I'm not just selling the script, I'm selling this whole entire vision. (laughs) And a lot of times these writer-directors are making like indie movies. You know, uh, before Spike was Spike, he was really making movies on his own for the most part with his company. And of course now when you get a script from Spike, you're just like, just do it. But before, you know, there is a kind of stage that you're at as a writer-director doing all these indie movies where it's just like, I better be as fucking specific as possible so that these people can really believe in what I believe in, which is my work, my craft, (laughs) my art. When it it comes to Black film, what is it that intrigues you specifically about Black film? Because I think some people love to say things like, and I I talked about this on... um, a recent interview I did with somebody who's a journalist with Aaron Haynes and I, and uh, I said, uh, you know, are you a journalist or are you a black journalist? Cause you know, you'll have people that are like, I'm not a director. Ooh. I'm not just, I'm not a black director. I'm just a director. Nah. You know, I, I personally believe that when things are made by black people and they're in black spaces, like that's a different element and energy that you're giving to it. Do you agree, disagree and why? I absolutely agree. And I think the degree of um, that kind of specificity and that feeling that you're talking about goes up even more if there's like Black people on the crew, Black people producing, uh, Black people just all around involved in the movie. I think that Black film, especially as a young person growing up a lot of around a lot of white people gave me a lot of confidence and assurance of like who I was kind of seeing this black art in such a interesting visual space. And especially the black films that have no white people in them. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, and it's not, and the story isn't juxtaposed against that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it's also, uh, it was a big history tool for me as well. When I was younger, I mean, I have, older parents who were born in the 50s, early 50s, to be clear. Right, okay, okay. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, the Black films we had were definitely, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of the 90s stuff, like Boys in the Hood, Waiting to Exhale, so I got a groove back, but also like Shaft, uh, Sweet Sweetbacks, Badass Songs. So like watching, yeah, exactly. So like watching those movies is like watching pieces of our history, like watching where we were at those times and those moments. And I think that's just very important for every generation to just be aware of the past and like what we were doing and what spaces we were in and like what we were creating and 
I think especially in those times, like looking into the counterculture stuff, like, come on, come on. That shit is so important. I think we are getting back into that space, uh, interestingly enough. Do you feel like that was before? Do you feel like we were always getting back into that space? Do you feel like, are you saying like recently in the catalyst of, you know, these uprisings, like, would you say it's more about that? I would say for people like me and you who are always in that space, we just been there. And, and, you know, I think that there are uh, certain companies and studios, et cetera, hopefully ones that are mostly run by us who will be kind of looking for more things in that vein. But I do think outside of our groups who are always having that thoughts, those thoughts, um, I think it is, I think it has sparked something in people, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you're starting this podcast, uh-huh. Adventures in Black Cinema. Yes. The name was the first thing that, like, kind of, I was like, I need to ask Desmond about why it's adventures in Black (laughs) cinema. You know, because we were thinking about names, Uh and we were coming up with other stuff, and, you know, but when you settled on adventures in Black cinema, like, it made sense to me, but I was just like, I feel like with Desmond, there's always more beneath. (laughs) Um, So I wondered if, like, why, why is Black cinema an adventure? Like, is it just... You thought the name was cool and I'm making it too deep. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think that when brainstorming, I don't know where that came from necessarily within the brainstorm. Like I wasn't like writing things down. I think it just like popped into my head, but it made sense in terms of like, I always think film should be this way. And I also think podcast should be this way. I think there should be some sort of journey throughout the entire arc of the podcast, as well as episode to episode. And I do think that each Black film itself does represent its own journey, kind of whether it's a classic, whether it's a hidden gem, even if it's like a bad movie that is beloved. uh, Examples being like How to Be a Player, uh, Jason's Lyric, which there will be a Jason's Lyric episode (laughs) one day. Um, I just think of Alan Payne's (laughs) hairy booty and I'm like, oh my God. I definitely, my dad probably bought this. The unrated version is on VHS in the basement right now uh, of that movie. Um, And I, and I wanted to set every episode up like that. I wanted every episode to also be uh, focused on kind of two major themes and always have those themes start with the same letter So when we talk about paid in full, the episode is Adventures in Dealing and Dipset. When we're talking about uh, Waiting to Exhale, it's Adventures in Soundtracks and Sisterhood. That soundtrack is legendary. Shoot, 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 baby. All you gotta say is shoot. But who shoots? (laughs) Like that song I've never understood. They're like... You know, um, and make me want to shoot. And I'm like, yes. what has anyone ever been like? Oh, shoot. <laughs> I just want to shoot. <laughs> you know what? I, I had to shoot. Like, no one says, like, and I shoot. <laughs> I've never understood that. I, that was Babyface yes. in the studio, like. I, Literally. Shoot. Sh- 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 shoot. Shoot. I'm Babyface. <laughs> I feel like it may have even been like something as basic as like, nigga, I bet you can't do a song about shoot. And he was like, watch me. <laughs> like, uh, literally. Yes, I can. 
like hat on shades. <laughs> Somebody was like, "You ain't you ain't the baddest. You can't do it." And he was uh, like, "Correction." <laughs> because when he was on the versus battle with Teddy Riley. Ooh. And he was throwing like side, just like real subtle shade. I don't do remixes. Ah, yes, yes. Baby Original face compositions only. <laughs> Babyface knows, and uh, I always like to talk about how Babyface is a very important aspect of Black cinema, more so than people would think. I mean, he produced some of the best soundtracks in Black cinema. Put me on. Boomerang. Babyface produced the Boomerang soundtrack? Yes. <laughs> the Bodyguard, Waiting to Exhale, um, and Soul Food. Mama, you know I love you. So you know good. I love you. So good. You know I love you. And that's wait how that movie starts, too. <laughs> so wait, when you say he produced, he compiled it, but he didn't necessarily produce all the music. No, he produced all the music, at least on the latter three. I'm not sure about Boomerang, but for Waiting to Exhale, Wait. The Bodyguard, and uh, Soul Food. Yep. Wait, I need yep. to do something very quickly. Stand by. <laughs> because I want to know if he produced Johnny Gill. There you go. Producer. There you go. Performed by John. Oh my God! Yes! <laughs> Baby face. He is kind of that dude. It's like. When I tell you that is. There you. Oh my God, Amanda. Of course, Babyface produced that. Now that I said. <laughs> there you go. There yes. you go. There uh, you go. So good. Here I come. <laughs> I was thinking about that uh, video that we're going to do, the ABCs of Black Cinema, and I was like, oh, B is babyface. I I mean, please, please, please. Listen. Yes. Babyface, now that you say that, I think you should do a series. I think maybe- Oh, that would be amazing. 26. What's an even number that goes into 26? I don't do math. Ooh, me neither. I think it's two. Two is probably the highest. Because sometimes- This is also four why time, I make film. I don't, four times I don't six know is 24. Four times seven <laughs> yeah. is 28. So, yes, I think you should do... I think you should do three. I think you should do ABC, ABC, ABC. The last one will be X, like XYZ and like a, I mean, YZ and a bonus. But I think you should do... You should go yeah. through the alphabet and do Ooh. the ABCs of black film. ABC and that. That's fine. D, D, E, F, et cetera. That is... That's fine. I also and there's a world in which you just do one video. You could just do literally like this week in Black Film, we go A. And it's just... Yes, that's so true. That's so true. That's a thought. Content, content. Because I I, I feel like I could do... (laughs) I could do that for uh, SFB Entertainment. Yes. Ooh, that's dope. That's super dope. And people love Bites. People love bite size content. They love these TikToks. These TikToks. You saw the sitcoms one (laughs) when um (laughs) when a star comes in, a guest star comes in. I mean, I need to figure out. I want to do it as like Topher Shanks or something. (laughs) You have to. You have to. You have to. Please, whenever you know about TikTok uh, battles or challenges or whatever, send them my way because (laughs) we are trying to do them in my characters, but we're so old. 
that we don't know about <gasps> what's, hap- like the what's happening on the ground. We don't. We don't. We don't. But you know what's happening so on the screen. What yeah. are the what's the latest black film that you saw that made you be like, shoot? Uh to be perfectly honest, the most recent one, Uncorked. Um and we did a whole episode, side effects yeah. of Uncorked. Uncorked was so good because like we reached a pinnacle in the 90s of black film where there was a great variety of black film. And it was a bunch of different Black experiences. Yes. There are so many Black films recently that are just about our trauma. And it's like, Mm. can we make something else? (laughs) Right. We can. And people have before. So it's like, where has that gone in terms of, I guess, like, it's probably the studios. And that's what they want. They want, like, the Queen and Slims and the Harriets and stuff. Well, to be honest, I feel like the studios became really fascinated with just making features. Like they don't make big, big, they only make big, big, big films now, right? That's so, so true. It seems like in their minds, you know, black trauma is 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 the most epic thing ever, and so right. they're only making these like grandiose films that surround black trauma. When these smaller stories, it, and I don't smaller is not the word. These more um, intimate, intimate. There we go. These yeah. more intimate stories are the ones I feel like that folks actually connect with in a much exactly. larger way. And they don't require you to tell every story in one film. No, no. Very specific story about this one family and how they deal with the situation of this young man wanting to be a sommelier. Like, what an interesting, unique, and specific story that in its specificity is universal. And because it has every- so many open spaces in it. Like, yes. And I think that's the thing that I... I can't wait to hear you discuss and that I, I wish we had more people discussing in the terms of nuance of black film. It's like, it doesn't have to be about, I feel like, how do I put it? You can have a specific point that attaches to a number of different life experiences just by nature Absolutely. of the specificities of how it's anchored. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like what we're seeing a lot of is films that aren't anchored they're just trying to cover all these experiences. Exactly. And so exactly. it feels like it's disjointed versus yes. like it's connected to the way a one thing affects a number of things. Exactly. So for instance, like for me, Queen and Slim felt like it was trying to be about a bunch of things, but it didn't so feel things. anchored in the way that I felt Uncorked was, which right. still managed to be about romantic relationships. They go to France. About <laughs> France, about yeah. privilege. It yes. still managed to be about all of these things, but because yes. it was anchored, it allowed for the anchor to shape the way we deal with these things versus when it's not anchored, it feels like we're dealing with a lot of different things in disjointed ways that don't feel cohesive. Does that make Absolutely, sense? Absolutely, 100%. And I would also say that Uncorked does feel very specific to Prentice's experience. Yeah. And I don't even know him personally. Right. You can feel that from the movie versus like Lena Waithe. There is maybe one queer character in that movie. Yeah. And it's like, I would love to see what your experience is as a queer black woman living in America. It's not like there's tons and tons of movies about black lesbians. There can be another one. There can always <laughs> be another one, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think... You know, the the bigger conversation when it comes to movies like Queen and Slim and Uncorked and just Black film in general is wanting to create a space where we can be critical without considering it 
um, de- derogatory. Are bashing it. Exactly. You know, exactly. like, I, I wish we could do that with black men, too. Because it's like, you can't, you can't be critical. It seems like you cannot be critical of black men without it being like you're downgrading, you're just, you're, you're um, bashing your, what's the word I keep hearing lately? It's like, who taught you how to regulate your emotions? Because they didn't Nobody, do a good job. Though. Nobody. Nobody. But even in how we discuss as a community, if we can't be critical of our art, yeah, we then leave it open for like outside views to be critical, and we yes. end up valuing their criticisms more than our own. Amen. Instead of having our own ability to, because if we're going to make it specifically like, okay, hey, this is a black film, then it should have critical views from a black point of view that yes. is valuable. And I yes. think we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't. We absolutely don't. You know, you can be a panel and be like, okay, you know, sonically, I think this had a great, you know, sound. I think the costumes are great. I think the script could have been a little better. I think, right. like, you know, like you can look at a film and parse it out. And that's so valuable. Like that's how it's all businesses valuable. work. Like that's <laughs> how we date. Literally. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I don't know why we, it just feels like you have to have the whole, some of the parts or else right. you're not rocking with it. And right. I don't think that's the best way to go. And I hope that on the show, you're able to be honest. Absolutely. I feel like I'm very able to, for example, Wing and Exhale, to acknowledge the fact that this movie is a classic for very good reasons. Right. And uh, the soundtrack is great. You know, Angela Bassett's fucking great, Loretta Devine. And this is one of the first stories that you're seeing for Black women top build this movie made so much fucking money and the theme of sisterhood is so fucking important at the same time could this movie have been improved if it was directed by a black woman could it have been more specific in experience if the person who helped um uh oh my god i can't believe i'm forgetting her name uh who wrote the book Ah, yes terry mcmillan terry mcmillan co-wrote the screenplay with a white dude had she co-written that screenplay with a Black woman, oh, there could have been more specificities. Had that film also been directed by someone who had directed a film before, this was Forrest Whitaker's first movie. Okay. There could have also been some filmmaking things that I see as a filmmaker that could have been like tighter, a little less uh, general. And all of that being said, this movie is a fucking classic that everyone should have seen. Yo, raggedy bitch. Right. Yeah. Throws orange. Yes. I wonder if that was in the script. <laughs> I wonder. T- I can't I'm remember. Always- I can't remember if it's in the book that he throws the orange at her. Uh, and there's, uh, yeah, there's so many great performances in that movie, including, of course, Angela and Loretta Devine. I mean, uh, Mikey T. <laughs> Right, 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 right. <laughs> Wendell Pierce. We got a nigga from The Wire and oh. three quarters mm. of every movie. Black Shout movie. to Wendell, New Orleans. So I'm really big on narrative, Black narrative, on on the importance of Black folks telling our stories. Why do you feel like the genre of Black film is so necessary in telling Black stories? Like, I think there's many who would say, like, Black novels, like, they have their own space. What is it about the specific art and craft of film Mm. that adds to, that, that uniquely adds to the telling of Black stories? 
I think mostly because it's visual. And before, honestly, a few years ago, you know, in terms of, you know, film versus television, you couldn't really take all these chances artistically on television. The show is right. like, the show is the show. And film, especially in an independent space, you've always been able to take a chance in how you choose to tell a story visually. And I think the visual nature of film is also part of our experience, like the way Spike shoots a film and his craft versus Casey Lemons doing Eve's Bayou. I Mm. feel like part of, not to sound, uh, you know, meditative or such, but part of your soul and your experience, if you're doing it right, goes into the visual nature of the film. So it goes into but the why? way the camera moves. Um, I think it's because you're being honest if you're doing it right. Um, well, you know, they is, say the eye is the window to the soul. True. <laughs> and you're looking through a lens. True. True. And I think if you're being honest, truly honest about your experience as a Black person, and you're putting that into the script and putting that into the design and into the way the camera moves, then that does, it just feels special. It feels so special. I think it really, you know, it's kind of like the way that we talk about privilege and how one sees the world differently than another person. Like Mm -hmm. Black people see the world different. Like we have a different lens through which we see the world. Absolutely. So I feel like when it comes to black film, it's like you're seeing perspective in such a just tangible way. You're yes. seeing a unique perspective because again, like a, it's it's a lens and it's not just like the physical lens that you're looking through, but it's like the actual experiential lens of a black person. And like Absolutely. when we look at perspective, it's not, you know, it, it, it can be, it can be as literal as like, Oh, y'all saw it like that. I saw it like this. And it can be as figurative as, you know, this is the expression of the same thing that you went through. Exactly. Um, in my unique way, because I've experienced, because of my perspective, you know? Exactly. Absolutely. Like because school days versus higher learning. Those are two completely different experiences coming from two different Black people. Yep. About a similar subject of being in college and what that means, what your Black experience is in a college setting. Was there a film that you watched and was like, oh, this is my Black experience? Yes. Uh, It is a documentary from the early 90s called Tongues Untied, uh, directed by a uh, man named Marlon Riggs, who was also a poet. So there's lots of poetry in this uh, okay. film, and it is very specifically about the gay Black experience to the point where I was sitting there just like, wow, I've never seen it put this way before. And this movie was made like the year I was born. Did you know <laughs> you were gay at the time when you saw it? Yes. I only saw this movie like last year. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very recent experience for me. Um, So good. It's like maybe a little over an hour, but I felt that that was such a specificity of experience through the way he expressed it with poetry um, and spoken word. And also just like, you know, direct addresses to camera, you know, walking through the streets of the Castro, just like I haven't even been there, but just the the beauty of the words and the poetry and everything he's expressing, I was just like, 
man. And uh, we were doing a lot of anniversary screenings of that movie last year. I believe it was the 30th anniversary. So this must have been released in 89. Um, so uh, at the festival that I programmed for, New Fest, we were doing a special screening of it. And as I'm introducing this movie, I almost started crying because this man is also dead. This man died okay. like a long time ago. And part of my intro for this movie was like, man, I wish he could still be here to see how much people are loving and connecting to this film all these years later and to see what that did for Black gay film in general, you know? So tell me about that. Like, we spoke about, you know, we've talked about the importance of, like, okay, Black film and as a unique, like, genre, right? But, like, where does the gay element add into the necessity of having the space to tell stories. It's kind of like, I would say it's even, I know you more, speak to that on the podcast. Like you yeah, have, yeah, a yeah, absolutely. you have a reoccurring segment. That's like called some gay shit. <laughs> some gay shit. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm very excited for people to hear that. Um, I think, that is also a way for us to unite. I think gay Black people coming together in spaces, depending on where you live, is kind of like few and far between. So I think being able to connect to our community through film is a very special thing that always really touches me. I recently just watched this documentary for the festival this year called Making Sweet Tea. And it's a documentary about gay Black men in the South. And I was like, this is just blowing my mind that I felt like I was in a room with them having a kiki and I felt just so comfortable just knowing that there are other people who have had that specific experience. I haven't even grown up in the South. I grew up in North Jersey. So my experience is even a little different from their experience. Right, right, right. So um, yeah, there's just an extreme uh, comfort to it. And also knowing that if there's someone who does not understand what I've been through, if they give a fuck about understanding, they can watch some good shit and have it explained to them in a visual way that I think is sometimes easier than listening to someone just like talking at you and speaking to you in person. I think with the film, you can kind of like sit back and it can... um, There's some space. Yes, there is space. And it can truly wash... Over and through you. <laughs> no, there's definitely truth to that. I think yeah. um, I think there's definitely truth to that. And the reality that, you know, film is, I, I, you know, I love that we call it Adventures in Black Cinema. Because, you know how, like, people would be like, there's hip hop and there's rap. Yes. <laughs> you start yes. to really feel like, you know, there's there's movies and there's films. Yes. Like there's cinema. Mm -hmm. You know, like cinema. Like I would look at The Wood as a movie, you know? Like it's a good time. It's not that deep. Word. You're going to enjoy yourself. Word. It's fine. But then I would look at Dead Presidents as a film. Ooh, 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 yes, yes. And I would like, and even, no. and I know some of my people say like, oh, well, that's just because that's a comedy and that's a drama. So no, no I'm going to think of a comedy that's a film. Um, 
Coming to America is a film. Coming to America is a film. And the reason I'm going to say that is because it's so careful. Yes. Like every scene, every element, every character, every shot, like if you watch it, they are very precious with it. This is true. I feel like in comedies, they're more apt to be a little more loose with that, you know, just by nature of improv, by nature of just the style of the quickness and, and with drama, I feel like they do sometimes have a little bit more preciousness because there's a lot more space, particularly right. in black comedies. It's like joke, 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 right, which, right. which is the same as being a stand-up, right? But then, like yes. in a drama, like you're allowed to have like a lot more pacing, totally space, there's space, and yes. you can do more cinema with it. And I feel like, you know, even like the moment in Coming to America where Akeem <laughs> is walking through the yard yes. and, and the the elephant walks by and says, hello, Babar. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Perfect. And that is also a great testament into uh, finding comedy that isn't necessarily on the line. That's not a joke that's uh, on the script. He's right. not making a joke. It's a visual joke. And I live uh, for a visual joke. Uh, uh, I live for a visual joke. There's visual a lot of visual joke. jokes in Friday as well. When Regina King is like... <laughs> yes, sleeping. when she's sleeping. So good. So You're right. So the visual good. jokes. Yes. Because that's that is where... That's what takes a comedy from being a movie to a film. That extra see, care. I don't feel like people are taking those chances anymore. I agree. I'm trying to think of like a recent black comedy that I was like, oh, this is. A film that I didn't love, but I guess could kind of fit in this category is Sorry to Bother You. I wanted to love Sorry to Bother You. Me too. Again, there were elements. There were elements. The first part of it, like the first half an hour, I was like, yes, this is so good. But yeah. But I think a lot of times what happens is it's like, I don't know the next time the studio is going to pay for this film, for these films. I'm going to put everything into one film. And that's really like the pressure that's put on black creatives. This feeling that like you got to put every idea into the film because you really need to knock it out the park. And they put that pressure on you in a way that seems unfair. Very unfair because white to dudes you don't like get that four pressure. Movies. Yes, it is. It is. It absolutely is. And you can see. I actually I read that screenplay as well, and it's not. There's really not a lot of difference. Like Boots was like, "This is the movie. Right. This is the movie." And um, you know, it is cool that that's a film that went through the Sundance Institute, and you know that that is something that they. We're like, oh yeah, <laughs> this. Well, you know, it, it is provocative, right? Yes, very much. So, and yeah. I think there is something absolutely very valuable to be said for just giving the opportunity to create something provocative that may not be fully sewn up. You Truly, know, like, yeah. like people love uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and will try and tell you that the shit is flawless. It's like, no. <sighs> It's a weird-ass movie. I confess that I do love Eternal Sunshine. And at the same time, I know exactly what you mean. 
Because that's how I think. You know? Exactly. But it allows for, like, folks to get to think in a different mindset about storytelling. Especially for Black folks when we talk about magical realism. Yes. And I love that And the wanting to be able to put that in the mix. Now, I have a confession to make. Yes. Desmond knows this, but I will confess it to you all right now. I didn't understand Daughters of the Dust. I I loved that movie. And at the same time, I can understand how you can get lost in it because it's not linear. It's not like... It's not like, um, here's a story, and here's A, and here's B, and here's C. It's kind of like, here is... Look at me, I'm yawning because of the anxiety. <laughs> the anxiety of the film is so overwhelming for me. Uh, you know, my mom loves movies like that. She loves Daughters of the Dust. She had Sankofa on VHS. Loves movies like that. So I think that's like part of my DNA. Uh, it's, 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 it's in there somewhere. Um, yeah, that movie is like, I also dig a lot of symbolism. I'm cool with that. Like I'd be sitting here watching David Lynch movies and being like, Oh, see, but yeah. Okay. So we're already, Rebecca is right now like, ah, ah, ah. Brendan is like, yes, 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 yes. I'm like, I, I, I'm like, no judgment. Right. But I appreciate that you give it the old college try. You Every do, time. Every time. <laughs> every time. Every I do time. That. What are some things they can expect on Adventures in Black Cinema every time? So every time you can expect uh, a deep dive that is also short and sweet into a film and also learn about how this film relates to the culture and how it relates to my experience specifically as a gay Black man living in America, growing up where I grew up. I ended up talking a lot about like my childhood and past experiences uh, and stuff like that. Um, I think that's something that you don't really get on a lot of film podcasts. You get a lot of really great analysis and a lot of great like critiques of the film. Okay, But for me, it's a bit of that. And then really talking about in context, like how it relates to us. And then to get even more specific, how it relates to me. And it is also always funneled through these two uh, general themes that I do see in the films. You can also expect the You Better Act Award. My favorite! The You Better Act Award is an award that we give out every week on the podcast that spotlights dope, Black performances that have slipped through the cracks, slipped underneath the rug, if you will. You uh, better act. You, and y- when you say that, you know what I mean. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> when you're watching the screen, you're just like, she is acting, acting. right now. <laughs> and uh, we also have some fun floater segments. We have a segment called Some Gay Shit, mm-hmm. where I talk about some gay shit that's happening in the media at large. Or I talk about something that's happening and I relate it to my gay gaze, <laughs> if you will. Um, I also have a segment called Trust and Believe, uh, where I put you on to a film that is a hidden gem. Mm. A lot of these are indie films. Um, 
we also talk about those in the show sometimes. It's a nice balance between classics, um, hidden gems, and then, like I said, we will get into some of the ratchets gotta, <laughs> every once in a while. Gotta touch on the ratchets, yeah. Every once in a while. Um, so yeah, I'm just looking forward to enriching people about Black cinema. And I think this is also a podcast that you can listen to having seen the movie and also not having seen the movie. Um, I think that's super important. It's definitely uh, enhanced and you can follow the conversation in a different way if you've seen the movie. Um, but if you haven't, I'd like to think it makes you want to put it in. Yeah. Pop it in the old DVD player, you know? <laughs> yeah, get in there. Yeah. yeah. And we have guests sometimes, which are a lot of fun. Um, we're going to have you on there one day. I'm going to come through the podcast. I'm going to yeah, come through the podcast. Yeah. I mean, Desmond, I really I really am excited to be able to launch Smartphone and Black Podcast Network with you. I mean, me yes. and Desmond have worked together in the past for years. I yes. launched a, a web series called Things I Learned This Week like eight yes. years ago. And I put out a, an ask on Twitter for... Writing interns and Desmond applied, and we've been cool ever since. We had a web series yes. called Funny Style on BET that nobody saw, but we saw it. We had a great and we time. have fun every week. Fun every, every week. Desmond helped. Uh, he was our writer's assistant um, when we when we were selling Smart Funny and Black to True TV. And you know, yes. for what it's worth, I've always appreciated Desmond that, and I tell you this to your face. I'm gonna tell the public. <laughs> I've always appreciated that Desmond has always been uh, an old soul. He's always been a student of the craft and yes. he's always been very just genuinely connected to black pop culture as not something that's just for consumption, but Word. something that is really about like our history and about our present and our future. And yes. I think other pop does that have that same role, you know, like totally. But when it's black popular culture, it plays a different role and it has different value and you've always been able to really give it that value. And knowing those things that you do and the way that they've been able to add to your opinion about my own work, to about your opinion about your work and to how you critique other works, I think it really is critical that the people who are putting themselves in these positions, that they do uphold that responsibility. And so I, I really appreciate that you always do. So you all will be Thank able you. to check out ABCs of Black Cinema, uh, everywhere pods are casted. It is our first episode. It is our first podcast that we're launching for the Smart, Funny, and Black Podcast Network. So please support Desmond. Uh, you can follow Desmond at, Des is it Desmond Thorne? It's Desmond Thorne. Mm -hmm. Desmond Thorne with an E. Uh, yes. Desmond, T-O-H-O-R, sorry, T-H-O-R-N-E. Yep. <laughs> um, and then you're going to have the, you're going to have an Instagram for. Yep. The Instagram for the podcast is at Black Cinema Podcast. Okay. So why is it not at Adventures in Black Cinema? That's so long. We got to Yeah, but Black I Cinema. I could change it to that. It should be ABC Podcast or something like that. AB Cinema Podcast or. I can do that. A Black Cinema Podcast. <laughs> We got a branding, branding, Desmond, branding. Branding, got um, it. So we'll, we'll hit you all to that. But uh, yes. I'm looking forward to it and excited that we can give another space to your incredible voice. And we ask that you, you all check it out and support it the way you support small doses. So look out for Adventures in Black Cinema coming to you. And uh, of course, make sure you check out sfpsociety.com where Desmond is also <laughs> one of our hosts. Yes. Uh, so posting things and talking about things. And um, all that good stuff. 
And I have got some black films that I need to watch. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I have some black films I need to watch. (laughs) Edmund, we appreciate you. Thank you. I can't wait to see who's the next you better act. Oh, ooh. There's some good ones. Some real good ones. (laughs) Yes, thank you for having me. Welcome to Adventures in Black Cinema. My name is Desmond Thorne. I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. And I'm super excited about this podcast. Like, this is a podcast where we're going to be taking a journey together through the vast world of Black film. Uh, Each week, we'll be getting into the nitty-gritty of a different film through my lens as a Black filmmaker. I'm a director, a writer, producer, and actor. I do it all. I'm a renaissance. And also through the lens of me being a queer Black person, and also through the lens of me being a film programmer. And Miss Amanda Seals, a good friend of mine for years, we've been creating together for a mad long time. She encouraged me to start this podcast because like all my social media is about film. When me and her talk, it's always a pop culture kiki. So I hesitate to call myself an expert per se, but like, I'm pretty damn close. Star Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.